Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Hang out in Romans chapter 12 with us as you learn why you are spiritually gifted. Enjoy the message. As I said last week, I was on vacation in Iowa. It is our annual trek to what they call the National Balloon Classic, all right? It is a big event that has to deal with hot air balloons. In fact, there was 125 of them. Some of them were your standard shape balloons. Some of them was, the coolest one was Yoda and Darth Vader, all right? So we see Darth Vader uh, flying in the sky, all right? You're like, okay, what's going on? My favorite one, I wasn't there this year, but there actually had Jesus in the clouds, all right? You want to freak people out. You wake up, what's that noise? Oh, it's Jesus in the sky. Yeah, literally. Oh, boy. And then there was Noah's Ark. Anyway, I digress. But uh, the National Balloon Classic is an event uh, that isn't just for sights, it is actually a competition. Some nights they have an outhouse on a hill, and if a, if a hot air balloon can hit the outhouse with the basket, they get a bunch of money. Or there's a pole with a key, and if the hot air balloon can come down and grab the key, they'll get a car from a local dealership. Or what they do throughout the week is they have cumulative points where they drop a gravity bag, and the, if, the, if the bag goes in the center of the X, uh, they get the most points, or whoever's closest to that X, they get the most points of that morning, and it's cumulative, and whoever wins at the end of the week, they win the regionals, and then they go on to the nationals. I think the nationals was in Nebraska last week, and then there's Albuquerque. It's a sport. Did you know that? Hot air ballooning is a sport the more you know, all right? <laughs> I don't know if ESPN is, is uh, televising yet, but I'm sure someday they will. And it attracts huge crowds. One of the nights we were there, there was about 13, 12, 13,000 people there. It was huge. People come from all over to see it. Now, something you have to understand about balloons and I, uh, is that they don't have a steering wheel. All right, the pilots aren't up there steering it like we do our car. And I love just seeing people that are at this event for the first time. They're like, come over here, steer it, just turn your wheel. I'm like, it doesn't have a wheel, all right? Hot air balloons, literally from the moment it goes up in the sky, is dependent upon the direction of the winds. The way that it goes up in the sky is there's a burner of hot air. And when that, when that hot air goes into the envelope, that's a part of the colorful part of the balloon, it goes up into the sky. And so... By heating the inside of the balloon with the burner, it becomes lighter than the cooler air on the outside. This causes the balloon to float upwards uh, as if it were in water, and it travels by the direction of the wind. So balloonists are completely dependent on the hot air of the flame and the speed of the wind, and they must understand without the wind, the balloon goes nowhere, and without the hot air, the balloon does not rise or it crashes to the ground. And so it's very important for a balloonist to know, to know the winds, uh, to, to, to know it like a friend. Uh, when I was growing up, I actually joined a hot air balloon chase team, all right? And this is where you really get involved with the, uh, with the points and cheering on your pilot. My pilot was okay. He never cracked the top 10. But the reason why I did it is because at the end of the week, they gave you a free balloon ride, all right? So I've been up in a hot air balloon about 12 times in my life. It's really amazing. You should do it. But whenever you're up in the basket, which is called the gondola, uh, it literally, it goes up to here, and so when you're like 2,000 feet up and you realize, man, if I just trip or something, I'm going overboard, it's a little scary. And so whenever you're up in the sky, you're always thinking, what if the balloon crashes? What if the balloon crashes? What if the winds go crazy? Uh, what if something happens up here? It was in my mind every time. And balloon crashes do happen. In fact, I remember as a kid, uh, there was a horrific accident, a balloon accident. I heard my mom yell to my dad. Said, she said, Dave, 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 hurry. There's been a balloon accident. It was right in our neighborhood. She's like, hurry, hurry. In fact, here it is. We'll go ahead and show the video. This was the video from 1989. Oh. 
tower. And as you can see, uh, they were only being held on by a guideline. And if they were to fall, they would undoubtedly fall to their death. And so my dad grabbed the camcorder. He began to just say, start praying for them. And we got on our knees and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. But we realized this did not look good. All right, as you can see, the, the, the envelope is, was tore open and all the hot air is gone. If the hot air is gone, it comes crashing down. We see they're at the mercies of the wind. We see, again, because they, did not, they didn't pay attention to the winds, they were ending up in a very catastrophic situation. And so we got on our knees and we prayed. We prayed that somehow that God would rescue them and that they would not fall. But to our horror... Uh, to our horror, as you can see, the winds kept on going. It didn't, as a little kid, uh, being eight years old, uh, saying, God, why, why are they still up there? What's going on? The winds kept on battering it. They kept on battering the balloon until what you see right here, the balloon begins to come off the guideline. And, uh, and the balloon begins to begin to rip it further and further in pieces. And the gondola right there is, a, is the pilot and his two kids. Pilot and his two kids, and it's going sideways. We're praying our guts out. We're praying our guts out. God, rescue them. God, may they walk away without a scratch. God, would you do something? And the winds kept on going. The winds kept on going. When the wind kept on going, they kept on going until it ripped further and further and further to where the basket, as you can see, is separate from the actual envelope. And again, in my theology as a kid is, why, God, are you not answering this? And as you can see, it's, it's moving further, and then I'll let the video play the rest. The balloon falls to the ground. And as an eight-year-old kid, you're like, I just saw a family die. And your theology in that second is messed up a little bit. The pilot didn't understand the winds. The hot air was ripped and they fell to the ground. But what an eight-year-old doesn't understand is we really do serve a God of miracles. Somehow that basket fell into a cornfield that cushioned them and they walked away. They walked away. An NBC affiliate in Des Moines grabbed the video and everything was muted like that except for Andy and Aaron, will you get on your knees and pray for them? And that witnessed all throughout the nation to where people called our phone all day long until the last call at that night was the mother of the sons and the wife of the balloonist. And she said, thank you for praying for them. Thank you for praying for them. She sobbed and hung up. But you know what? That was burned in my memory. I, I hadn't seen that video for literally since I was eight years old. And I, I went through the... VHS tapes to dig it up, dig it up, dig it up, dig it up. I found it. it. Took me hours to find it. Because I wanted to see again what happens when you don't pay attention to your surroundings. What happens uh, when you don't pay attention to the wind, when you don't pay attention to the direction of where life is going? And you know, this morning, some of you are thinking, uh, you're kind of like that balloon. Uh, it just seems like life is just slamming you into a telecommunications tower. It, it feels like that you're not paying attention to what God is doing. You're not paying attention uh, to what God wants you to do in your life. And it just feels like you're aimlessly floating around. It feels like that maybe, just maybe, there's no chance. But what I want to tell you this morning is this. Is that no matter if you feel this way or not, like you're being tossed around, like you're stuck, 
Like you need a, a, a fresh wind, a fresh fire in your life. God can rescue you this morning. God can meet you exactly where you're at. God can prevent you from slamming into something and, and, and seeing your life flash before your very eyes. We need the Lord. We need the Lord God Almighty. We need his rushing wind of his Holy Spirit. And if not, we are headed for a crash in our life, right? And a crash in, in our family or our nation or the world. We need God. And this morning we're going to talk about spiritual gifts. But I want you to know, uh, we, we actually, in a previous series and a previous message spent two sessions on that I'm going to point you back to the particulates of the gifts because this morning I want to take a step back and say okay what do we need to do to even receive the gifts what do we what is the right attitudes to be able to function in our giftings and this is precisely what Paul is going to talk about in Romans today some of us, maybe this morning, we feel like we've crash-landed in your marriage or your work or your friends. Some of you feel like you're flying aimlessly. Some of you are relying on yourself and not relying on God. Maybe there's religious pride. Maybe you're just coasting. But the Spirit of God wants to fill you afresh this morning. He wants to fill you afresh. He wants to show up through you. He wants to build his church. He wants to move his kingdom forward. He wants to see unreached people reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to operate his work, his giftedness through you. He wants you to be a conduit of his work. But we must understand this. This is our main idea. We're going to unpack this the rest of the morning. Is that gifts, spiritual gifts specifically, are not for you to show off, but for God to show up. They're not for you to show off, but for God to show up. We want God to show up, don't we? We want to be desperate for a move of God in our life, don't we? Uh, we, we, want, we were desperate not only for individuals, not only for our situations or maybe at home, but as a church. Uh, we, we are desperate for God to show up. Last week, John O. preached an amazing message on God's will, and it has everything to do with the gospel. And he, and he presented an idea, uh, that he brought out Paul's idea that we need to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Let me read this for you. Again, Romans 12, 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is speaking of our bodies. Now, what he, he's not speaking of just our physical Bodies. He's speaking of everything that represents in our bodies, our physical, our, our, our thoughts, our spiritual. He's presenting our entire lives. He says, everything that is about you needs to be a living sacrifice, not a sleeping sacrifice, not a convenient half sacrifice, uh, not, not, not something that is not a sacrifice at all. No, your whole life, the totality of your life uh, is for God. Everything, not one area is exempt from the work of the gospel. God wants to do a deep work in every aspect of your life, every thought, every word, every action, everything. God is in the business of transforming you to be more like him. Now think about this. God wants you to be a living sacrifice, which means God wants to use you. John talked about last week the sacrifice of the Old Testament. They would bring an animal, they'd slaughter it, and it'd die, right? What's different in the New Testament is we are to bring ourselves as a sacrifice, but because when you're in Jesus Christ, you're born anew, you're born again, it is, it is something that we can bring over and over and over again. It's alive. 
God doesn't need us to fulfill his purpose. He doesn't need us. But in his love and mercy, he wants to use us. He's inviting us to join him. You see, God, God isn't lacking because if we don't join him or not. God is complete in himself. But God is asking us to join him, and it's for our good. It's for our great good. I mean, let's think of this. God spoke light into, into existence. He said, let there be light, and boom, there was light. He spoke, he spoke every particle in the universe. He spoke every piece of vegetation, every animal, human beings, men and women. He spoke and there they were. The God of the universe that speaks wants to use you. He wants to use me. He chose you. He chose me to push his kingdom forward. I think that's pretty amazing, don't you think? It's humbling. But know this, sometimes we get the equation a little backwards. Sometimes we think, God, I'm so gifted and you need me. He doesn't. It's that we get to join him. It's for our good that we get to join him. A few years ago, I was at a leadership retreat. And a leader small across the country we met at this place near Kansas City. We were in this big, giant Airbnb. It was like a mansion, but because there was 30 of us, it made sense. And, but it was out in like the middle of nowhere. So it must have been an old farmhouse or something. Uh, but I didn't have my car. Uh, but they had about four 15-passenger vans. So whenever we had to go somewhere, we had to hop in the van. And so I remember one night we were going to go get some Kansas City barbecue. Mm -mm -mm, so good. I couldn't wait for it. And so I'm like, okay, I got about 15 minutes before we load up in the van. So before I do this, I'm going to take a quick phone call. Well, I got on the phone call, and I lost track of time. All right, uh, I, I'm having, a, I think it was a staff meeting with everybody back here. It's like, hey, you know, it was a great staff meeting. I hung up and I'm like, all right, time to get some barbecue. And I go downstairs and it's quiet. I mean, you've seen the movie Home Alone, right? Everybody's stuff's kind of out, but there's nobody there. I'm like, hello, and it's big. It's like my voice is echoing. Hello, anybody there? I thought they were pulling a prank on me. So I just started quoting Home Alone. Uncle Frank, are you there? Nobody was there. And I looked at the clock. I'm like, I think they may have left without me. So I called him up and I said, guys, are you playing a joke on me or what? No, we've left. Uh, no, 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 come on. No, we left. You're not in one of the vans? No. Everybody assumed, just like Kevin McAllister in Home Alone, that I was in one of the vans. And I wasn't. And they were 30 minutes away, almost ready to sit down for the barbecue. And they were just griping, oh, we have to get, oh, Fine. So one of the vans turned around and I had to do the little walk of shame into the van and sit in there and everybody's just angry at me already. What's your order? We're going to call it in. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Thanks for picking me up. I missed it. I missed it. They were still going to go whether I was in the vans or not. It was up to me to join in the delicacies of KC Barbecue, right? And oh yes, they came back because they were nice, but they were grumbly. They were grumpy. Listen, here's the deal. The purposes of God are going to go forward whether we get on the train or not. But what I want to tell you is this, is that when God moves his purposes forward, he's always willing and ready and happy to turn that man around and pick you up when you say, God, I want to go forward with you. He's not going to be grumpy. He's happy. 
He's happy for you to join in his purposes. He's, and, and for some of us need to hear this this morning because we're, we're thinking of the things that maybe you've done in the past or, or, or you haven't measured up to somebody in your life or, or what's going on in, in the present life right now. And what I want you to know is this. When you say yes to Jesus, oh, that makes him so happy. Oh, he takes joy in that. Join him. You're anointed and pointed for this mission, for this season. And, he, and when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he gifts you with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts, as defined by Wayne Grudem, is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Sam Storms, he puts it this way, spiritual gifts are not God bestowing to his people something external to himself. They're not some tangible stuff or substance separate from God. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our wills, and working his sovereign and gracious purposes through us. When we say yes to God, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, when we are available, well, you don't have to be perfect, you just need to be available, right? When you're available for the things of God, watch out because he will begin to naturally do supernatural things through you. We see spiritual gifts listed all throughout 1 Corinthians and, and Romans and 1 Peter. And we're not going to go through all the lists today. I'm explain. We're going to give you some homework today uh, for you to discover what your spiritual gifts are. But these spiritual gifts are in operation today. They are not dormant. And they are necessary to build up God's church and move his church forward. How awesome is it? The creator of the universe, he, he's, he chose his strategy to be you and I, broken vessels to demonstrate how good he is. Isn't that awesome? But gifts are not for you to show off, but for God to show up. Again, we spoke exclusively on the gifts in our Holy Spirit series. We will link that on our website and uh, social medias this week so that you can review those messages. Uh, but what I want to talk about today is our attitude. This is so important. You can know the, the mechanics. You can know the gifts. You can know the functions of it. But if you don't have the right attitude, it all self-destructs. So God uses you, and he'll use your gifts when, number one, you don't take yourself too seriously. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. So Paul is about to begin to talk about spiritual gifts to the Roman church, and he begins to talk about, we need to talk about your attitude. One of the greatest threats to the church is to think so highly of ourselves that we don't feel the need to be dependent upon God or his commands. Uh, one of the greatest threats is to come into church and act like everything's great. Come into church and be like, I am close to perfect. I know all the arrangements of the book of the Bible. I know I've prayed so much this week. My life is good, and even when it's not good, it's for the glory of God, right? You've met people like that, and like, are you serious? Do you really, you really feel that way, right? Like, Listen, knowing the Bible inside and out, is, that's great. We, we need to do that. I'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, being in, in prayerful relationship with God is so vitally important. We need that. But there's a fine line between, between being desperate and dependent upon God and growing in the things of God and being prideful about what you know about God. Fine line. And so a core value here at Kenosha City Church is that we're not perfect people, but we're people made New, do we believe that? Anybody believe they're perfect here this morning? This might not be the right church for you if you think you're perfect, right? We are imperfect, messed up people. And the antithesis 
to this would be is to, again, play perfect, okay? Uh, we are perfect people, and we don't need to be made new because I'm perfect. No, that's not our core value here. If we want God to show up and use you with lasting fruit, we must see ourselves as God sees you. God saw us before we knew him. If you don't know him, he sees us in our messed up state. The Bible says, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, he wasn't like, hey, uh, and when you get it all worked out, I'll die for you. He would have never gone to the cross. We, we, were, we, were, we are messed up and in need of a savior. Uh, we are naturally bent, not on the things of God, but we are, we are bent on our own destruction. Uh, and, and when it comes to doing things for the Lord, we are, we are not bent to show off for God, but to say, hey, look what I did. We need the grace of our savior. We need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. And we need to remember that every day because when we don't remember the ramifications of the gospel, we will begin to it, it, it rely on ourselves naturally. And so let me ask you this question. I'll ask myself the same question. Do you feel this morning the necessity for his mercy? Do you feel this morning the necessity for his grace? Do you feel a desperation for God? Honestly answer that. If it's, if it's something like, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if I, I don't know. Then let me tell you this. We have a natural, slow, at least slow drift to reliance on ourselves. If, if we don't acknowledge our desperation for God, if, if we know that we are nothing without his mercy and grace, if we, are, if we don't feel just the weight of, of, of the forgiveness of, what, of God and what that means for our life, we will forget what he did for us and we'll begin to rely on ourselves. C.S. Lewis, he says this, he says, pride, that's, that is thinking too highly of yourselves, is the granddaddy of all sins. Why? Pride gives birth to so many other sins. Pride will say, you got it, I got it, I don't need this, God. And when that happens, you begin to rationalize things that God already said no. You begin to rationalize things that you're like, well, you know what, in this situation, it's okay. You become a situational Christian, and situational Christians begin to live a life of compromise and sin. Pride, when you think of yourself too highly, it's a declaration of independence towards God. What we'd rather need this morning as a church is we need to have a declaration of utter dependence upon God. And when you have an end, a declaration of independence towards God, it makes you twist scripture. It, it, it's marked by prayerlessness. It's marked by not being gracious with your time, your talent, your treasures. It's marked by how you treat people. And it's marked by gifts of the spirit that are squandered. Pride. You want to know what the biggest mark of the pride is? It's puffing up. Right? It's puffing yourself up. I once had this person that they would always give me, they'd come in on a Sunday morning or whenever they'd see me grocery store or whatever, um, and uh, they'd always give me these prophetic, it was years ago, uh, they would give me these prophetic words, you know, words from the Lord, um, and, and we do believe God speaks today. We're very, we, 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 uh, we love that God wants to commune with his people. Uh, but they would give me prophetic words. They're always harsh. They're always harsh. They never came true. Uh, but they felt really, really proud when they would give them. 
Uh, and, and eventually, I, they could see that I was, when I would see them come, and they were coming my way, they make a beeline like this. I'd be like, and they would start to notice that, right? Have you ever seen that? Like when someone's approaching you, I'm like, oh, no. And you're like, oh, I'm gonna, I go, hi, how are you? <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you've seen that. And hopefully, maybe we've been that person at times, right? Where we walk in and, and someone else is like, I'm going to go somewhere else. And this person, they, they recognize that. And they said, hey, why are you running away whenever you see me now? And I, I didn't think, and I said, it says, because whenever you think something's meaningful, it's actually coming out really mean. Did I say that? I did. I, I'm in love, all right? It's, but it lacked grace. And this person's prophetic puffing up, this, this, this prophetic gifting was, was puffing them up. And, and again, whatever we do and however we're gifted, even legitimately, we have to understand the moment we think that we got something, <laughs> we're losing that something. Because it's not about us. It's not about, about what we have to offer. It's what is God gonna do to us that we can give maximum glory back to him? So just prior to Paul's writing the book of Romans of what you're reading today, he wrote a series of letters to the church of Corinth. And they were known for their use, their extravagant use of spiritual gifts. They, they used all of them. Uh, and we can learn a lot from the, the book of 1 Corinthians of how to properly use all of those gifts. But there was a major error. The church of Corinth was devoid of love. They had the appearance of being spiritual, but they weren't. They were mean and they were puffed up. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3.1. He said, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I want you to understand this. The church of Corinth had a reputation. The church of Corinth was a church where people are like, oh man, have you gone to the church of Corinth yet? No, how could you not? It was, it was, it was a cool church, right? They, they, wore, they wore the skinny jeans, they wore the mom jeans, they wore the, the band shirts in the 80s and 90s, they were wearing the Nirvana shirts, right? I went up to somebody recently, they're wearing a Nirvana shirt, I said, hey, do you know what Nirvana is? And they, literally, they're like, uh-uh. Like, I said, never mind, all right, anyway. Some of you got it, okay, good, anyway. Some of you are gonna Google that, all right? They had an album called Nevermind, all right? So, but they didn't know that because they just wore it because it was cool, all right? And listen, you can, you can, we don't have a dress code as long as it's, it's like a, you know, honoring to God, but the thing is, uh, is that you don't have to look a certain way to be faithful to Jesus, right? You, you don't, you, you, we're, if, if you wanna dress cool, go for it. You wanna dress like you just came off the farm fields, go for it, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Right, what matters is your heart before God. But yet the church of Corinth, they were all about the looks. They were all about, about what people thought of them and their stride and the way they looked and the way they talked and, and the extravagance of the spiritual gifts. Well, the spiritual gifts weren't wrong. Paul made that very clear. What was wrong was they weren't doing it in love and it was more like America's got talent. Watch me prophesy. Oh yes, oh yes, yes. Billy's gonna prophesy. I'm gonna prophesy. I got another word. I just healed a guy of his headache over there. Oh yeah, wait a minute. I healed 15 other guys over there. Wait a minute, no, I healed 30. I healed 40. Well, I'll speak in tongues. I'll speak in tongues of angels. I'll speak in tongues for three hours. I'll speak in tongues for six hours. It was a contest to say who was the most spiritual and who had more of the Lord. The main problem in the Corinth church is they were using their gifts for their own enjoyment and entertainment. The manifestation of the Spirit through them was somehow a mark of maturity, so they thought. They were just trying to outdo each other. Paul corrected this 
hard. Okay, we dealt with that in our previous uh, Holy Spirit um, spiritual gift session that we'll link, uh, but that was from 1 Corinthians. So not only was it kind of like this cool church, no love, America's got talent with spiritual gifts, they also elevated personalities at the expense of Jesus in the mission, 1 Corinthians 1.12. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas, who's Peter. Uh, still another says, I follow Christ. I follow Paul. Oh, yeah, well, I listen to Apollos' podcast. It's pretty awesome. He's better than Paul. Oh, yeah? I go with the OG. I go with Peter. And then someone wanted to be super spiritual, the one that spoke in tongues for seven hours instead of three hours like the other guy. And he's like, oh, yeah? You can have all those guys. I have Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, right? Oh, uh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, no. Uh, Paul, he had it. Pride doesn't follow scripture. Rather, it divides, it, fo it follows personalities, it takes the focus off Jesus and the cross. And the church of Corinth was cloaked in super spirituality, but they were devoid of it all. And as a result, Paul wrote to condemn, to correct this errant behavior. And this was fresh on his mind when he was writing the Romans. They weren't abusing them per se, but he wanted them to make sure as you become gifted in the Holy Spirit and you move the mission forward, do not think of yourself higher than you should. Kenosha City Church, we will not be a personality church. We will not be a church that's gonna try to outdo one another to show off. We're gonna be a church we have to make this declaration because our, our flesh right now is fighting us. My flesh is fighting us. Your flesh is fighting us. We need to make a declaration that we are going to be a church that gives maximum glory to our Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. Amen? And that the cross is going to be our focus and that we're not going to take our eyes off the cross. We're going to be a church that doesn't do things in our natural talent. A church that doesn't do things because we knew what we did last week and we're just on autopilot. We're going to be a church that is desperate for the filling and desperate for the power of the Holy Spirit. knowing that we're forgiven and by his grace we will be used by him. But pride is the antithesis of all that. Pride most manifests itself, and I want to list three things because I believe these three things are things that we can, we can find out in our own life, that we can assess in our own life, that we, can, that, we can, that we can give before the Lord and that we can encourage one another with uh, if, if we see it. But pride is most manifests itself, I believe, in the church, number one, in entitlement. I deserve it. Oh, boy, we hear that in culture today, right? Just do it. You deserve it. I deserve God's mercy, his attention. I deserve prominence in ministry. or I deserve people, you know, to, to say good things about me. I want it my way. Burger King, right? Have it your way. No, no, no. Entitlement. Listen, if we want to talk about entitlement, we are all entitled to be alienated from God. That's our entitlement. But because of the mercy of God, because he's so full of grace and mercy, he provided a bridge so that we don't have to go to what we're entitled to. We get what we're not entitled to. Undeserved favor, the grace of Jesus Christ. So pride forgets that and becomes entitled. Number two, it resists God. It resists specifically the word of God. Uh, you resist the word of God by not reading the word of God. You resist the word of God by reading it and not putting it to practice in your life. And the most dangerous danger, I believe, confronting the church is Christian groupthink without the word guiding the group. Ooh. You know, we hear a lot about community today in the church. Like, man, the church needs about community. The, we read in, in Acts, you know, the, we want to be an Acts-style community in the, in the church, and we want to be dynamic friends in the church, and we want to be family. I agree with all of that. However, 
I believe we're in danger of worshiping community instead of the one who creates the community. You follow me here? We could be a community within the church, but not guided by the word of God. You understand what I'm saying? We could be a community in the church and we begin to group think. You know when you group think, you've sat in these board meetings, if you're, if you're uh, uh, in the work field, right, or maybe you're on the PTA or PTO, whatever you call it, and people just start saying things like, uh-huh, uh-huh, right? Like, imagine group thinking without the word of God in the church. Oh, it happens everywhere. This is how whole denominations go awry. Like, well, I don't know if God's word is God's word. I don't know if, 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 uh, if God is really, uh, you know, all-knowing. How did you, you didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from groupthink that's not centered around the Bible. And so, it's so vitally important uh, that uh, we are not resistant to God's word and that when we're together in Christ's communion, God's word is a center uh, and that it guides our thoughts. Third way that pride most manifests itself is tearing others down through gossip. And this is a big one. This is a big one. It always has been a big one when you read it through the New Testament. You know, nothing new under the sun. Gossip. Gossip is this. It's tearing apart Christian community. Uh, gossip will stop and make the spirit limp, at, le- at the very least, in the church. Gossip, gossip is simply t- talking about someone instead of going to that someone. Well, it's true. What I'm saying, it doesn't matter. Did you go to that, that person? Uh, you may think you have reasons to gossip, but you don't. You go to that person so that you build up that person, all right? This is so important because the function of spiritual gifts is to build up the church. The function of gossip is the quickest way to tear down people and tear down the church. And so, uh, gossip is a cancer. And by the way, so I, I, I've heard this, uh, you know, I've, I've been guilty of gossip in my life. We've all been guilty of this, right? Uh, but... In the 20 years uh, that I've been in ministry, one fashion or another, I've always heard people try to justify why they're gossiping. And I want to say, there is no justification for it. And a lot of people, they just kind of get beat into submission. And there's whole communities, there's even whole churches, where they're just based on it. You may have, been, you may have attended a church like that. We've, we've struggled with that before, right? And the thing is this, Kenosha City Church, we got to drop a nuke on it. There will be no tolerance for gossip in this community. Amen. There are plenty of other gossip factories that we can attend in town. If you must gossip, you know where to find them, all right? So gossip is cancer, all right? It's cancer. We can't do it. So pride, it puffs up. What's a mark of humility then? Mark of humility is this. Understanding your proper view of who you are in Christ. And I love this. He says, okay, you want to know, know what a humble person is? What is that? Boast. Boast? Boast. I thought that's prideful. Mm-mm. Boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.28, he says, God chose the lowly things of this world and despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He's like, hey, if you must boast, make sure that when people see your life, that they don't see you, they see Christ. You see, we don't do any of this to say, oh, good job, Andy, or, oh, good job, good job, good job. He's like, no, they want to say, I knew who you were before Christ, or I know the situations you're going on, that's going on in your life, or I, I, I don't know how I would have handled that situation, but I saw Jesus in you. 
I think one of the biggest advertisements of the world that people need to see in the church is a difference. They need to see a difference in the people of God. And a difference in the people of God is what? We're going to be peculiar people. Strange to a society that is far from God. Like, why would you do that? Because God chooses the lowly. It's not about being cool. It's not about having it all together. It's understanding that we are messed up and the need of grace daily. It's, it's realizing the depths of the gospel. It's realizing that God often calls the uncool, the unworthy, the unlikely. You're anointed and appointed, church. You're anointed and appointed to boast in the Lord because that means he's doing something through you. So, first thing, if you want the gifts... To operate in your life, don't think of yourself too highly. Secondly, you need to think sensibly. You need to think sensibly. Romans 12, 3 again, for by grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, say together, think sensibly. Let's say that again. Think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. All right. If you're young, maybe you remember this as a kid. Uh, if you don't have kids yet, you maybe you've babysat this has happened. If your parents, oh yeah, you've dealt with this. How many, of you have had, how many of you have had a kid or babysat a kid or watched a kid or were the kid that has had an epic meltdown, all right? Raise your hand. Should be all of our hands, right? And I remember last summer, our van broke down. Actually, we ended up leaving in the desert. It died in Nevada on the loneliest road in America. That's what it was called. So I realized we were in big trouble. Luckily, my in-laws were following us in a camper van just behind them. So we left. We got the van towed. We all crammed into the camper van, and we drove two hours backtracking to figure out what we were going to do with our van. And while we were on this backtrack, my son had an epic Meltdown. At the time, my four-year-old son, he had pancakes, he had syrup, but something that the McGowans, you need to understand, they go crazy with condiments, right? With, with ketchup and, and, and syrup and barbecue sauce. You, we have to go through, how often do we go through a bottle of ketchup? Like every other day? And they're, they're the big Sam's Clubs ones. We, got, we have problems, okay? Pray for us. Anyway, so uh, we, didn't have, we, we didn't have enough syrup, and we're in the middle of the desert, and a four-year-old doesn't understand that, and Graham just completely loses it he's just going crazy he's crying and he's revving up revving up revving up to where he's like shaking and crying and screaming we're all crammed into this uh, rv it's hot it's 100 degrees we're going on the highway we're not going to stop on the side of the road like normally dad's threatened right because it's 110 degrees outside so it's like okay you know what we're just going to watch him we're going to watch him scream we're going to watch him go crazy he's melting down i begin to try to talk sensibly to him graham it's only another 30 minutes and we get there you know then well you know we can get more syrup and then i realize why am i talking sensibly i'm a dad and a man hey you want to know something? When we get back to Kenosha, all your toys, they're getting garage sale, okay? I don't even know whose garage sale it is. I'll find one. I'll dump them there, okay? Then Allison gets mad at me. He's like, Andy, don't make threats. You're not going to follow through. Oh, I'll follow through on this one, all right? So, <laughs> sensible. I'm trying to talk sense to a four-year-old who's melted down over syrup in the desert. And I realized it's not sensibility, and I'm losing my sensibility trying to be sensible to him. It's all emotion, He's being, it's all emotion. Emotion is leading my four-year-old and I'm bit into the apple and I started getting emotional and saying things that I wouldn't fall through on. Paul is telling the Roman church, if you want the gifts of the spirit to move through you, you have to think sensibly. It translates elsewhere in the Greek, it can be translated as sober mind or a sound mind. 
We often think of spiritual gifts as somehow as a mystical experience that bypasses the brain. Listen, we won't, we won't always understand what God is doing spiritually. We won't always understand uh, what God is doing. But listen, that doesn't mean that we just shut off our brains like, what happened? I don't know. I went to a trance, right? No. Like God wants to use our minds with our emotion through his Holy Spirit. God has made us emotional beings. But the problem today is we often approach Jesus or situations with life, emotions first, not, and maybe, maybe truth if you ever get around to it. God has made us emotional beings, but our emotions must be rooted in truth. Our emotions can lead us to any direction because emotions, listen to this, emotions have no absolutes. You're like, you want to try this? Let's try it. The morning, Monday morning, sometimes you wake up and you're like, all right, I'm ready to get to work, can't wait. Oh, you're doing good today. I know I just got a good night's sleep. I have a good cup of coffee going. I can't wait to get to work today. Next Monday rolls around. You don't want to get up. Every, every negative thought is hitting your mind. You're feeling slightly depressed. And in your flesh, you're like, I'm not getting up. I'm quitting my job. I'm going to stay in this bed for a week. I don't care. That would be a disaster, right? But that's what happens when we live a life of emotions first is we begin to make decisions that lead to disaster. We're living in a culture today where we are not trying to pursue truth. We're trying to pursue our happiness first or we're trying to pursue a group happiness. We're trying to pursue what makes us feel better in that moment. And it may make you feel better in that moment. You may enjoy that moment, but disaster is lurking just behind that door. We must be people of truth. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that we are not to be people that are not thinking sensibly. And listen, here's the deal. Today in culture, every ethical ramification is going through the prism of emotion. Every news article you hear, everybody that's trying to persuade you, they often do it through emotion and then they throw in some facts. It could be your personality, your sexuality. It could, it could be uh, drugs. It could be anything that people talk about. If it feels good, do it. Uh, it, it it's even come down to math. You know, the two, uh, two plus two equals four. Well, no, uh, now people are debating. Is two plus two equals five? No, it doesn't equal five. Well, I feel it should. And some people are like, okay, yeah. I recently was watching a documentary, and it's one professor. He was angry when this person started talking about truth, and he said, truth is a microaggression. What do you mean by that? It's like, if you're saying something's true, and I don't believe that, or I don't want to believe that, then what you're saying is doing harm to me. And he's like, wait, actually saying something's true could be offensive? Yes. Woo! That's what's called living by your emotions first instead of making truth the engine, specifically God's truth, and the emotions be the caboose. Does that make sense? As Christians, we must be guided by his word and his truth. And it's easy to point out there and say, oh, yeah, society, yeah, that's what they're doing today. But, you know, we in the church, we know God's word is true. I have a newsflash. We are products of our culture, which means if you are not actively going to God's word and wrestling with God's word and letting God wrestle with you and refine you and grow you, you will begin to think first emotionally and not by God's word. You will. Oh man, I just don't know what I think about that. I know what God's word says about that. I don't want to hear about that right now. You don't understand, I'm mad right now. That's what happens. We as Christians are susceptible to that as well. It's not about our truth, it's about his truth. 
When we're guided by his truth, it can put into proper place our emotions, our God-given emotions. But we must be guided by his word. We must be sober-minded. We must think sensibly. If we are to build the church, if we are to be used by the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit, we must be sensible. Gifts are not for you to show off, but they're for God to show up. We must think sensibly. Third reason, third way uh, that God will use you, third attitude that we need to have. Again, uh, let's, let's review real quickly here. Don't think of yourself highly than you are. Number two, think sensibly. But number three is use your giftedness for the building up of the church. That key word, building up. Build up. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. As Christians, Jesus has given us a duty to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ in our everyday life, to build up the church. Now, before we go further about building up, we need to talk about what the church is. There's confusion here. The church. Like, what do you mean? Uh, we're in church right now. Yes, we are. We're, we're in church. This is called Kenosha City Church. But in the last decade, the concept of the church has been really muddied. Christianity, many people want to love Jesus, but they don't want to love the church. They want to be active in a local church. Rather, they have reduced the idea of church to some universal idea that everything they do with other Christians is church. Hey, I went to church today. Well, what'd you do? Uh, I went to Mission Barbecue at, at lunch. I saw a couple people that I knew were Christians. We had church. Now, you went to Mission Barbecue and you had some barbecue. No, we had church. That wasn't church. You were with Christians who are part of the church. No, 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 we had church. You see, somehow we've reduced church to some of this universal idea that wherever you're at, their church is. But that's not it. Biblically, church is something beyond that. So biblically, what is the church? This is a very important question for understanding how to build it up. First, we need to know this. Jesus loves the church, and that's why church is not for our own making. We can't define church however we want to. He calls church his bride, which means he loves his bride so much. I was performing a wedding at Lake Michigan yesterday, and I was reminded of this passage that Christ loves his church. He gave himself up for the church. And I'm just realizing how some people say, I love Jesus, but not the church. I'm like, can you imagine if someone said, well, I really like the groom now, but that, oh, that, you know, that, that bride. People be like, uh, you can leave the wedding now, right? You don't say that about the bride. But yet we do that with the church. It's his bride. Christ loves the church and is using an example for husbands to love their wives sacrificially. And Christ is calling the church his bride. It shows that he's coming back for what's his. So it's popular to mean the bride today. It's popular to say that you can do whatever you want in the church today or define it however you want to make the church or, or the principles of church, what, what we're supposed to do in the church is up for your own making. But it's his bride. It's not, it's, it's not up for our making. Christ made the church. He gave the orders to the church. His last words were, go and make disciples, right? Go make disciples. Who make disciples? Who make disciples? Who make disciples? That, that's, people say, hey, do you say that a lot? I'm like, I didn't make that up. I didn't, okay? I, I would add a potluck in there if I made that up, all right? I'd add, hey, and then we had a meal, and then we had a meal, then we had a meal. The, the thing is this, the purpose of the church is not potlucks. The purpose of the church isn't whatever we do that might be good and fun, the purpose of the church that we cannot get rid of is that we are to make disciples and reach those who are not reached. Kenosha City Church must reach this city. Kenosha City Church, if we are not making disciples and we're not reaching the city, we're not living up to the mandate of our Savior. And when we are all about his mandate, family lines are changed, addictions are broken, dead religion becomes born again, church comes 
from the word ecclesia, which means the assembling of people. So the church is the assembling of people or the gathering of people. The very nature of the church is to meet together. In fact, in Hebrews, it says, don't neglect meeting together. The church is visible, yet it's invisible. The invisible aspect of the church, as Wayne Gruden puts it in his systematic theology book, is this, is that it's the church, the invisible church is the church as God sees it. It is the church of all people of all time who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus. 2 Timothy 2.19 says that the Lord knows who are his in that invisible church. But the visible church is the church as Christians see it. The visible church includes all living believers that attend a local church throughout the world. And local churches will always have unbelievers in it uh, because people are coming in and they are, different, they, they are, they are maybe uh, hearing the gospel for the first time. But we mustn't get this mixed up. Is that you don't have a universal global church without a local church. There's a popular tendency today to make a beeline for the global church and neglect your local church. The global church will never be healthy if the local church is not healthy, if the local church is not being committed to, if the local church isn't being invested in. We have a core value here at Kenosha City Church is that we are not consumers, but we are contributors. We are contributors into the things of the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have a conviction here at Kenosha City Church that we want to be in part people that reach this city. In Catholic theology, they believe that the, uh, the invisible church is all believers of all time that are made visible in one local structure. And this is in stark contrast uh, to local churches that we see throughout this world. So instead of being united in organization or activity, the church must be united by the spreading of the gospel. We can stand in unity with churches today all across this world, all across this nation, even all across this city, by our shared conviction of the gospel. Yeah, there may be times that we do things together, but I want to tell you what we better have right is that we're all advancing the gospel in our local churches. The global church will never be healthy if the local church isn't committed by committed people of moving the process forward. That's why I thank you. Everybody that's on the host team, everybody that's doing kids ministry, everybody that's doing ministry with youth group, anybody that's serving anywhere, I want you to know right now, you're moving the needle forward. Local churches that are healthy and moving the gospel forward make a healthy global movement throughout this world. By the way, I want you to know something, a need that I became aware of this week, our kids ministry is blown up. It is doing amazing things. It's growing. Uh, you just go walk by the rooms. They're busting at the seams. But guess what we need more of? We need people that are ready to invest in the next generation right now. We need to invest in that generation now. Here's how many we need to be ready for the fall, okay? One month away from the fall. Woo, here we go. We need 12, all right? I'm gonna update you with this, this number each and every week. Let's see that get down to zero, 12. If you're not serving somewhere, I'm gonna tell you this right now, City Kids just may be. City Kids happens during one of our services from K, all, it's birth all the way up to, to a fifth grade. I want you to know this may be the place for you to serve. Start pouring in to this next generation. They need to hear the truth. They're being inundated with it all throughout the week of things that are not true. You need to be that person, that conduit to share the truth of Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift to use it. Romans 12, 4 says this. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all parts do not have the same function, in the same way we are many who are one body of Christ and individual members of it. So continuing this bodily imagery, Paul states, this is why it's important that we invest ourselves into the movement of Jesus Christ in his local church. If we are just gonna be consumers, we're actually hobbling the body. We all need to be functioning body members, okay? I know there's a season where you're like, I just need to, take in and not do it, that's great, but that's seasonal. What he's saying is this, we need to be functioning 
through our spiritual giftedness so that we are a complete, healthy body. Gifts are not for you to show off, but for God to show up. Now, again, the intent of this message was not to go through all the spiritual gifts. You can see here, Romans 6 through 7, he says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it to service. If teaching and teaching, if exhortation, exhortation, if giving, generosity, if leading with diligence, show mercy with cheerfulness. We see a whole list of gifts here, but this is just a partial list of a greater list that's found in scripture. And again, I'm gonna give you a test, okay? A homework for you to begin the process of what spiritual gifts do I have? How can I use this to even plug in right here at Kenosha City Church? But what I want you to focus on here is Paul clearly states that we all have different gifts. Just because you may have be gifted in a different way than somebody else doesn't make you any better or any less than anybody else. The importance of this is that we work together to move the mission forward. All right. So here is the homework for you this week as we land, all right? I don't normally give homework for those of you that are brand new this week, but this is so vitally important because I want you to figure out where your fit is in the kingdom of God. There is a test from the San Diego Rock Church, uh, Rock Church in San Diego, Miles McPherson. And if you scan that QR code or go to sdrock.com slash gift tests, uh, you can take a pretty comprehensive spiritual gift test. So take a picture of that, scan the QR code, do that right now so you can take this at home, all right? This is at home. Secondly, I want you to re-listen to in the Holy Spirit series at Kenosha.Church, part one and part two of spiritual gifts. We go through the different spiritual giftings. And then throughout our week, I want us to do this, to prepare the Spirit of God to use us here. And it's this. Has everybody got it? Has everybody got this? Can I go to the next one? Okay. You can also find this on, on, uh, on our replay online. All right, seeking spiritual gifts. Number one is pray. God, I eagerly desire spiritual gifts. You know what? When you ask God for things he wants to, he wants to bestow you with, he's going to answer. He might not answer the way that you think, but he's going to answer. Pray. Number two is get right with God. Ask the Spirit of God, the, the Holy Spirit, to fill you fresh. Rid anything in your heart that you know that's not from him. Number three, seek humility. Seeking humility is this, seeing yourself in proper light of who God is, knowing that when you're being used, it's not about you, it's all the glory goes back to God. And number four, fruit of the Spirit. You see, oftentimes people wanna talk about the gifts of the Spirit, that's important, but the end goal is the fruit of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, when they're properly worked out, will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you the opportunity right now, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, to receive him. I'm also gonna give you the opportunity, if you know Jesus Christ as Savior, to begin to start talking to him. God, I wanna be gifted by you. He's given you a spiritual gift. Maybe for some of you, you need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit this morning. We're gonna, give you, we're gonna make space for that as well. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, for who you are and what you're doing. I wanna pray specifically here for anybody that's here that doesn't know if they have a relationship with you. In fact, as we continue to pray, I just wanna to say to you, if you were to stand before Jesus and you don't know why you'd go to heaven, listen up. Before we, you do anything for Jesus, you need to know Jesus. And you know Jesus by this receiving him as your savior. 
You see, God made you to have a relationship with him. But you've sinned, you've done wrong, you've been separated by him. And there's no religious work or trying to be perfect that's going to get to him. You're separated from him. The only way that you can be made right with God is through Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, taking every wrong, every sin that you've ever committed in the past, present, and future. And he took it on your behalf. He died on the cross, but because he's a sinless, perfect sacrifice, he rose from the dead, he defeated death. And because of that, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he's able to forgive you. He's able to forgive every sin that's separating you and God. All you have to do is receive him. Say, Jesus, I want to receive you right now. I want, to, I want to walk from my life that I've been living, and I want to walk towards you right now to receive your grace, your forgiveness. You paid it all. I'm receiving it all by faith right now. If that's you, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if you're like, that's me, I, I, want to, I want the forgiveness of Jesus this morning. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Would, could you just raise your hand right now so I can see you? I want, to, I want to pray for you this week. If that's you, just raise your hand up right now. Awesome. Anybody else? Great. Anybody else? As people are beginning to respond, how awesome is that? Now today people are like, I want the forgiveness of Jesus. I want to place my faith and trust in him alone. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I realize I've done wrong in my life. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross, saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Now help me follow you now. In Jesus' name. As we continue to pray, just ask God right now, God, what, what are the gifts that you are, want to bestow on me? Maybe you already know what gifts those are. And today you just need the, the Holy Spirit to fan the flame of those gifts. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.